Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Mr. Pop. Is that the only thing we have to fear is Four score and seven years ago. When in the course of human events. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do Hello and happy President's Day. I'm Royful Brown and this is a voice which hopefully, fingers crossed, you'll be hearing a little bit more from in 2023. I have left so many projects up in the air when it comes to 10 American presidents. I've still not done part two of Reagan. I haven't done part two of the election of 1960. And that's just the the, the start of the things which um, I need to complete. And hopefully, fingers crossed, I will execute on those in the next month or two. Today is a very special recording. Ewan Morgan is a professor in London who has written books on numerous American presidents. And one of them is uh, Ronald Reagan. Um, He spoke to me, goodness, almost three years ago now. And that formed the basis of the part one of The Reagan Show a few podcasts ago. I am going to finish that uh, soon. But this is a recording which we did on Zoom. And you can tell by some of the references. This was whilst Donald Trump was still the president of the United States. So this was a couple of years ago. The audience consisted of people on our Facebook group. We also had a Zoom session. And there are a few people there on Zoom. Uh, one of them who actually asked a live question. Um, It's a great conversation where Ewan talks about aspects of the life and times of Ronald Reagan. 
so we can fully understand uh, the 40th president. Um, hopefully, I hope that you enjoy it. It's my present uh, to you for bearing with the podcast. Happy President's Day. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So how many books have you written on American presidents today? Well, it depends on how you count it, uh, but um, I have uh, written five books on American presidents, which I single-authored, and about another 12, which I co-edited. In other words, um, developed a theme for a book uh, got colleagues in different universities to contribute uh, an, a chapter to the book, and I edited it usually in cooperation with a co-editor. Quite tough editing books where uh, you'd re- really do need backup of a co-editor. So, and I've tried not to make myself a specialist with a single president. I think you have to understand the office. You have to understand how different people operated in the office, not uh, different personalities, different times. Uh, So I have tried to spread my knowledge of the presidency um, from Franklin D. Roosevelt through to Donald Trump. And I've even tried my hand very briefly at uh, some 19th century presidents as well. I I must admit, I find those uh, late 19th century presidents an impenetrable puzzle. Um, you know, they all seem to be somewhat kind of featureless. Your Rutherford B. Hayes is, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I kind of quite like 
the early ones, and then I go to the ones in, in, in the 20th century. They seem to be much more uh, defined and stuff. Uh, so uh, we've established um, that it was Nixon. It was a love of Nixon or a fascination well, with Nixon. A fascination, Nixon, I would say. Uh, let's not call it a love. <laughs> <laughs> a fascination with, with uh, Richard Nixon, which uh, basically uh, whetted your appetite in terms of yeah. your love of American uh, presidents. If we kind of move on to Ronald Reagan, I think one of the things about Reagan is from the outside and, in, and even from inside of America, many Americans didn't take him seriously. Many Democrats didn't first because he was seen somewhat of a B-movie actor and somebody who um, wasn't steeped in, in politics. Um, and also he's kind of an affable guy, wasn't he? And I suppose affability can disarm people as to somebody's, um, you know, it's the strength of their kind of ideology. Um, you've obviously written the book. Um, tell us one or two things which really surprised you about the formative years of, of Ronald Reagan politically. Well, although it was well known that uh, he began life as a Democrat, uh, I was not aware of how utterly committed a liberal Democrat that he was. And uh, uh, he, of course, votes for Franklin D. Roosevelt in 1932, 1936, 1940, and 1944. He believes that Roosevelt has saved the nation in the midst of the Depression, uh, certainly saved his family from, uh, uh, his mother and father from uh, falling into destitution. Uh, so um, Ronald Reagan idolizes uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt and remains an admirer, uh, although many Republicans came to disdain Roosevelt as the founder of the uh, of liberal big government, which they uh, tried to demolish when they came to power in the uh, late 20th century and found that the foundations were resilient to being overthrown. But um, Ronald Reagan always believed that uh, it had been necessary for Roosevelt to undertake the socioeconomic activism that he promoted in the Great Depression, but he always believed that uh, FDR saw this activism as a temporary necessity to meet the crisis of the Great Depression and that he would have moved away from it uh, once the Depression was over and that it was his liberal successors who created uh, the permanent welfare state. I think that uh, uh, that's a misreading of history, but uh, it was a comf uh, it gave Reagan comfort that his instincts in favour of FDR had been the right one. Um, the second thing I think, um, and you alluded to it now, the B movie actor. In actual fact, he rose very unusually. Not many people succeeded in this. He rose from being a B movie actor to an A star. Uh, the trouble was that just at the height of his fame, when everything was going wonderfully for him, and he'd appeared in uh, good movies, good directors, good scripts, top production values on the part of the, of the studios, but he would then uh, has to go off to war, and even though he does not see active service, nevertheless, for four years, he is in uniform. He can't appear in commercial movies. Uh, he only appears because his eyesight is so bad. Uh, he cannot be uh, sent overseas to fight. So he uh, becomes a uh, 
um, sort of information film maker and performer, an important role um, helping to boost morale on the home front, helping to sell war bonds and helping pilots with um, um, uh, demonstration movies to show what a Japanese zero looks like uh, if they're in a dogfight with one. So it was an important uh, but not heroic role. But by the time the war ends, Ronald Reagan uh, has come back to Hollywood. The studio don't know what to do with him. Um, uh, before he went, he was playing the roles of all-American good guys, young guys. Um, but by the time he's back, like many people, He's aged, even though only five years, four or five years has passed, um, he's taken on uh, the uh, the look of a um, middle-aged man. <clears throat> There's no chance of putting him in the kinds of movies he uh, had before. And because the studio don't know what to do with him, they put him in some real turkeys. And of course, uh, when these turkeys go, um, you know, they, they just collapse at the box office. Reagan takes the blame and uh, he ends up in uh, the movies from whence he came. Uh, mm -hmm. Television saves him. Uh, by 1954, Ronald Reagan is a washed up Hollywood actor uh, who hasn't much of a future. But then he is... Um, his agent, who's a very influential man in uh, Hollywood, Lou Wasserman, gets him uh, a, a long-standing um, appointment uh, as the host of the General Electric Hour, which airs on on Sunday night at nine o'clock. And that, because... Let, 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 let's hold on that, because it, you, you've done a lot of history just there. One of the first things you said I found quite interesting, utterly fascinating, was that in lots of ways, he, even post him becoming a Republican, he fundamentally uh, understood and agreed with FDR's programme, the reasons why it was kind of instituted. For me, one of the interesting things about Reagan is that if I look at the Republican Party today, though Reagan arguably is, no, there's no arguably about it, is the line of the Republican Party. Every Republican running for high office cites Ronald Reagan as one of the big influences politically on their lives. Is that in many ways, Reagan would be to the left of the modern Republican Party, definitely on something like immigration. And that chimed with me when you talked about, um, even though by the time of 1964, and him supporting Barry Goldwater. He wants to dismantle uh, these kind of New Deal, um, Democratic FDR edifice, but that he actually understood the, the reasons for that. Um, how do you see Reagan's legacy in terms of its interpretation uh, with the modern Republican Party now? And then we'll go back and do a little bit of history. Okay, well, um, every uh, rather like Margaret Thatcher in Britain, where every conservative has to say that uh, you know he uh, uh, he's upholding Margaret Thatcher's legacy. Uh, in uh, the United States, every Republican has to swear fealty to Ronald Reagan. But of course, uh, uh, Ronald Reagan was operating in the nineteen eighties, facing 
a democratic uh, House of Representatives for eight years in the entirety of his presidency, a democratic Senate for two years, and was dealing with a Republican Party that was not the monolithically conservative Republican Party of today. Ronald Reagan realized that he had to be pragmatic. Um, he had to settle for half a loaf. He had to compromise. He never compromised in his rhetoric. His rhetoric uh, always projected this conservative idealism, conservative vision. But to get things done, uh, as he discovered when governor of California, um, you couldn't be Simon Pua in your ideology. Uh, and say uh, you, you you weren't going to uh, bend in order to uh, um, get most of what you wanted. And Reagan, I, I've always regarded Reagan as a pragmatic conservative and also someone who saw himself as president of all Americans, not simply the ones who voted for him. And I don't think that Ronald Reagan played base mobilization politics in the way that, let's say, George W. Bush did, and of course, most notably, Donald Trump. So um, I think Reagan would have been uncomfortable in today's politics. Uh, you know, he gave as good as he got. Uh, he got into verbal fights with the House Speaker, the House Democratic Speaker, Temple Neal. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, uh, he was prepared to socialize with O'Neill, um, would have him round to the White House for drinks. Um, and he always said, uh, you know, from nine to six in the day, we were sworn enemies. But, you know, after six o'clock, you've got, to, you've got to recognize he's got his beliefs, I've got mine, and we've got to try and live together. So uh, Ray, I don't think Reagan would have been and natural at the kind of politics we have in the United States today, the politics of anger, the politics of polarization, the politics of division. Ronald Reagan was a unifier. And of course, uh, uh, he realized that uh, the Republicans were a, a minority party. The Democrats were in decline, but they uh, still clung on to a congressional majority. Ronald Reagan knew that he had to win habitual democratic voters to his side. You couldn't do that by saying what a terrible group of people Democrats were. That you have to reach out to them. Mm. He failed with certain groups. Um, he he always said uh, that uh, uh, he uh, is one of his greatest disappointments was the, his failure to connect with African Americans. Uh, but he connected pretty well with uh, Hispanic Americans, uh, winning a pretty large share of uh, their vote in 1984, 40%, which is pretty high for a Republican. And of course, as you pointed out, uh, he sees America as the promised land, and uh, he wants to open its doors to the immigrants who can get there. Um, you know, Reagan doesn't want to build a wall, doesn't want to build walls. and. Uh, uh, you know, he famously says in his farewell address, uh, you know, the city on the hill is here to, uh, it's a city for everybody who has the will and the courage to get here. So one interesting to compare and contrast, and, and, and you can't help but do that, you know, with the current incumbent of the White House. Um, but specifically, let's look at one of the things which you just said there, which is that Reagan uh, was, was, was pro-immigration. 
and saw America as a beacon, as opposed to the this now Trumpian Republican Party, which is very much isolationist. Um, and, and also um, wanting to reach out to Americans of, of all colours and, and stripes. Um, why specifically do you think that Reagan didn't have success with African-American voters? Obviously, um, there's a history since FDR. Well, first off, um, historically, because of emancipation, African-Americans used to be overwhelmingly Republican because it was the party of emancipation. That starts to break down and change with FDR, doesn't it? And the New Deal. And then you have civil rights legislation in the 50s and specifically really the 60s. That's when it really, really hits. And that's under Johnson. But still by, um, let's say, the, the 1970s, though black Republicans are going to, black Republican voters are going to be in the minority, there still were a few. So why is it that Reagan, do you think, couldn't reach out to African-American voters, considering that he had a landslide in 1984? You know, he, he, he took all states apart from one. So um, Latino Americans, as you said, 40%, white Americans, obviously the overwhelming majority. What was it about Afri African-Americans and, and Reagan not being able to connect with them, do you think? Well, partly, of course, is that uh, Reagan is seeking to uh, uh, roll back the liberal state, uh, uh, which African-Americans see as essential for their well-being. Uh, and, um, uh, you, you know, in trying to dismantle uh, elements of the New Deal and more particularly of the Great Society, uh, he is, uh, um, he says, you know, I'm trying to free people from the dead hand of government. But to African-Americans, uh, that benevolent state was essential uh, to uh, assist them uh, cope with the uh, economic problems uh, uh, that uh, they experienced. Uh, you know, they're, uh, they're coming, they're, they're, the, the factory gates have been thrown open to them, uh, but at the very time that the number of factories are in decline, you know, the good jobs um, beginning to go in the 1970s. So that uh, the these poverty programs of the uh, national government, uh, the social welfare programs are seen as essential. And what's interesting is that uh, uh, it, it, Reagan always said, look, uh, the black middle class is growing. Uh, what's the problem? Uh, this is an American success story. Uh, if you go back to the 1980s, um, you know, uh, uh, Michael Jackson, mega pop star, across uh, uh, racial uh, groupings. Uh, the most popular television show of the decade was the Cosby Show. And Reagan was always saying, "Well, you know, we're part of the, the African Americans have been part of the mainstream, and the African American middle class was certainly growing." But what was interesting was the, the sense of racial solidarity that the people who had made it. Uh, resented Reagan for trying to pull the ladder up to prevent uh, the bottom two-fifths of African-Americans from uh, uh, to, to bring them up to a decent standard of living. Um, I, I don't think Reagan was a racist. I would, uh, uh, I've had this argument with uh, 
cohorts of students who say, well, uh, if he won the races, why did he do things that were potentially harmful to uh, African-Americans uh, by trying to take away programs that benefited them? Why did he uh, not willingly uh, sign the legislation early on that made uh, uh, Martin Luther King's birthday uh, a national holiday? And um, why did he uh, resist um, the uh, uh, effort to impose economic sanctions uh, against the apartheid regime in South Africa. Um, you know, this catalogue of, of issues, but you know, we have to come back to Ronald Reagan's concept of freedom. Um, it's, a, uh, it's, it's a concept of freedom from the state uh, rather than the concept of the freedom of economic security that was the New Deal's definition of freedom. So, for Reagan, this, the government, as he said in his 1981 inaugural, government is not the solution to a problem, government is the problem. He believed people have become too dependent on government and that uh, the freedom that he saw uh, himself was bringing was the freedom for individuals to maximize their talent, maximize their, uh, uh, their wealth. And he believed in equality of opportunity, but not in affirmative action. Um, he said, you know, uh, you can't uh, try to favor one group, uh, equality of opportunity, no, no artificial barriers, but you can't use government to try to promote the interests of any particular group. A lot of people said, well, why did he promote the interests of the rich with your tax cuts? Uh, but for Ronald Reagan, uh, that was really freeing up the rich to make more money so that they could invest, create more jobs and so on. Mm. It's, it's a conservative view of freedom, whereas FDR had offered a liberal view of freedom that the central state would guarantee Americans a basic level of economic security so that they uh, uh, did not uh, have to uh, you know, go through life on minimum uh, uh, wages and have poverty in their old age. So it's too, freedom is the defining word of the American experience, that it means different things to different people. And uh, of course, uh, uh, the, you know, freedom became something that, uh, an important word to African Americans, the freedom struggle of the 1960s. Um, and but it was a different concept of freedom, this word that kept on being used by different groups for different purposes. And uh, Ronald Reagan, uh, by the same token that Reagan's critics didn't understand his view of it, he didn't understand theirs. Hmm. Interesting. Let, let's go back to the 1950s and then let's end back um, in the 1980s and then maybe we can then project forward. In the 1950s, depending on who, who you believe. This is, these, these are halcyon days of uh, American global might, economic strength, etc. Yes, it's the Cold War and America has its existential enemy, the Soviet Union. But um, if you look at um, the American movies at the time, you know, it's, it's movies of new suburbia of new consumer goods. We have a president, um, Eisenhower, who is, uh, is, is a Republican, 
but in many ways um, is a continuation of FDR and FDR's legacy. Now, the interstate program, that's massive government spending by, by anybody's uh, um, reckoning. And he's very much, uh, and then we have the first tangible real steps of desegregation, uh, Brown versus Brown, etc. cetera, in, in the 1950s. Uh, but that is the point where the Federalist Society um, it, it re really um, it is founded and then also um, ideologically has this kind of counter uh, vision. Um, when, when we talked, you talked about Reagan um, reading, um, you know, the, these new uh, political and economic philosophies. Um, how much you talked about him being a pra pragmatist by the time he actually comes into power how much of of his legislative program would you say is driven utterly by that ideology that he you know takes hold of in the 1950s how much of it is pragmatism then how much of this is let's say the um exhaustion of FDR's New Deal program. By the time we get to the nineteen eighties, that you know that you know what the, this safety net for for all Americans, um, you know, it had to go, etc. So how much of this is how much of Reagan's time in power is ideology? How much of is it is this just a thirty forty years after after FDR things need to change, should change, etc. etc how ideologically driven actually was he? Well, of course, we have to see Ronald Reagan in broad terms. Uh, Ronald Reagan did not suddenly uh, emerge in 1980 and uh, bring conservatism to America. Conservatism was a movement that had been growing steadily since the 1950s. Uh, um, and uh, a sense that uh, big government uh, wasn't working, that America wasn't uh, flexing its muscles sufficiently, uh, that it was in danger of losing the Cold War. So all of these things bubble up. And Barry Goldwater is the first manifestation of that. Now, Goldwater frightened Americans uh, because he was seen as such a zealot that he'd roll back Social Security, that he would... Uh, engage in a nuclear confrontation with the Soviet Union. And that catastrophic defeat for Goldwater in 1964 uh, is very important to Ronald Reagan because he, of course, was a fervent Goldwaterite that spoken to him in a national television broadcast and actually done a much better job than the candidate himself in putting over the conservative message. But Ronald Reagan said, we cannot do this again. You know, we can't frighten people. We've got to sell our uh, our message uh, um, as a, a positive one, not frighten people to show uh, what the possibilities of conservatism are. So uh, he realizes uh, that uh, Ameri in American politics at that time, that uh, you couldn't be... A, an out-and-out ideologue. You had to um, uh, recognize that uh, it, it would take time for people to come to you. And what you had to do was find issues which were uh, important in bringing new people along. And for Ronald Reagan, the most important of these issues 
with taxation. Okay, now, um, what's interesting is that uh, in the 1930s, a new democratic party em uh, emerges. Um, sorry, this is a bit of a history lesson. After the 1930s, from the Civil War to the 1930s, the Democratic Party was predominantly a white Protestant Southern party. FDR and the New Deal bring a working class, an urban ethnic working class, or you know the bottom half of the income distribution into the party. Now, what's interesting about this is that the New Deal is giving these uh, new groups programs to help them uh, gain economic security, to help them advance, keep them in work, but they are not paying for these programs because the tax base until World War II was very, very narrow. People paid taxes on consumption, uh, but they did not only about 5% of American families paid income tax in 1940. Uh, it was an elite tax, not a mass tax. This changes with the Second World War uh, because a new tax system is created uh, that brings almost everybody, 80% of uh, Americans within its remit. And that tax system is sustained to pay for the Cold War pays for the First World War and the Second World War, but in every other American war, war taxes are removed once war ends. These taxes are continued to pay for the Cold War. And what's happening that as America is becoming more prosperous, white working class and lower middle class Americans now find they have to pay taxes. And they say, why? And they don't think it's defend America in the Cold War. It's to bring African Americans. So they're saying, our tax, our tax dollars that we work hard for are going to, you know, uh, people who aren't willing to work hard, you know, the racial prejudice of the times, uh, uh, we don't have to go into, but Ronald Reagan picks up on this and he recognizes that tax is an issue that is no longer something that appeals to the rich. It appeals to the middle classes, and the upper echelons of the white working class. And if he can create a coalition uh, in support of lower taxes and the corollary of lower taxes is smaller government, that is the way forward. So in terms of um, an overwhelming drive to, to cut taxes, um, yeah, as you, as you said, the corollary of that is, is kind of small, smaller government. I've always been a little bit mystified by Republicans, conservatives, specifically talking about a lessening of, of the state. But when it comes to the military, absolutely is complete and utter the opposite. And obviously the military is, is, is very much kind of part of the state ap apparatus. And actually um, it's interesting when you look at American history and it's um, Eisenhower who warns of the military industrial complex and, and he's a general, you know, he was a general. Um, could you explain um, Reagan's relationship with the military? Um, it, 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 it appears to me um, a, a humble Brit who uh, grew up in the 1980s that he was very much, Ronald Reagan very much became um, America and he felt very much like the commander in chief. 
um but kind kind of explain explain that and and then and other totems of uh of of america and americana okay well uh ronald reagan becomes president at a time of course just following the vietnam war and um what's happened is that during the early cold war the united states has built up this massive uh, defense establishment, uh, uh, m- massive in all ways, uh, conventional and nuclear. But uh, the unpopularity of the Vietnam War and the failure of the United States to win that war uh, brings about uh, a reconsideration of um, uh, the Cold War military and its purpose. And you have, whereas there's been a Cold War consensus up into Vietnam, Vietnam fragments it. And uh, you have liberals saying, look, our goals ought to be peace, human rights, and economic development on a global basis, not armed camps facing each other, uh, uh, leading to potential accidental nuclear war. Now, Ronald Reagan always said that... uh, uh, even though detente, of course, was initiated by uh, Republican Richard Nixon, he always said that detente missed the fundamental point of the Cold War. The Cold War was not a struggle between two superpowers. It was a struggle between two value systems. And that you could not have detente between really contradictory values of democracy and communism. And for him... Uh, he believed that uh, the Soviets had used the period of detente to build up their military power to a point of equality with the United States, that the United States had lessened its military spending, so that by 1980, he was issuing the warning that the United States was in danger of losing the Cold War. Um, In late December 1979, of course, the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan is seen as a new uh, signal of Soviet assertion. It's the first time that the Soviets have uh, intervened outside Eastern Europe. So, you know, what's happening here? They're trying to drive down through Afghanistan in towards the Persian Gulf and threaten Western oil supplies. Uh, etc. So what Ronald Reagan said, the only way we can have peace with the Soviet Union is through being stronger. So what what Reagan uh, says is we must spend massively on defense. Uh, Detente uh, is uh, uh, no no way of uh, uh, achieving peace. Uh, We'll have some relaxation of tensions and then we'll be back into a situation of confrontation. The only way to solve uh, the problem of communism is to demonstrate that we are stronger than it, and that means massive expenditure on armaments of all kinds. And of course, uh, in 1983, Reagan's own fears about nuclear war uh, lead him to this idea we, we can't simply rely on deterrence, uh, balance of offensive weaponry. Why don't we build a space, a, a defense shield in space that will take out incoming nuclear missiles? 
Of course, this revolutionized the whole concept of military deterrence. And uh, the Soviet Union's leaders are genuinely frightened that uh, they know the Soviet Union is an economic basket case, can't compete technologically with the United States for much longer. Um, 40% of the Soviet uh, GDP is going on defense compared to 5% of the American GDP. Reagan says, look, we're going to win any arms race because they're running as fast as they can right now. They can't go any faster and we're just walking. And, uh, uh, you know, so, so, so Ronald Reagan sets out to peace through strength, build your position up to a position of superiority. But he does believe in the other side of the equation, peace. He doesn't want to obliterate communism in the Soviet Union. He does want to free Eastern Europe from communism. He says, if the Soviet people want communism, they can have it, but they can't implant it anywhere else. You know, so, Ewan, uh, here's a question for you. I remember at the time yeah. when Star Wars was first muted that um, Reagan said, we'll share the technology with, with the Russians. Is that going to underline what you just said there? Um, or or was, was he being disingenuous when he said that? Because it makes sense in hindsight that this is just an extra turn of the screw economically on the Russians, that they don't have the technological wherefore to do this. But I remember at the time, at first, when he says, right, we're going to, you know, Star Wars, we're going to have this defense shield in space. But he did say he'd share it with the Russians. He did. And uh, um, the, the Russians, of course, didn't believe him, uh, but uh, he was serious about it. Uh, it would take many years, and it still hasn't been developed yet, of course, this, uh, uh, this shield in space. Yeah, Ronald Reagan hated communism, but he also feared nuclear war. He said, you know, why are the Russians so frightened of us? What have they got? They have nothing that we want. But if they're frightened of us, they could be... Uh, uh, um, they, they might uh, uh, launch a nuclear attack in the belief that we are going to attack them when we have no intention of doing so. So he thought accidental nuclear war was a real possibility. Uh, he wanted to reduce the level of nuclear weaponry, uh, but he needed somebody in the Soviet Union as a leader who would recognize that reducing nuclear weapons would not only improve the prospects of peace, but would also improve the prospects of the Soviet Union being able to divert money from defense into much needed renewal of their economy. So uh, Ronald Reagan was lucky that Mikhail Gorbachev comes along when he does, but Mikhail Gorbachev, I always think Gorbachev gets a wonderful press from uh, the Western left and the Western liberal media and that Ronald Reagan is seen as somebody who, you know, uh, wasn't uh, quite up to him as a world statesman. Well, Ronald Reagan was certainly up to uh, Gorbachev as a world statesman. Ronald Reagan took many risks to get that nuclear deal with Gorbachev, the INF Treaty of 1987. He alienated many of his supporters on the right. Uh, and uh, he said, you know, this is the right thing to do. And um, 
uh, he he followed through on that. Uh, and Gorbachev, who initially saw Reagan as somebody who uh, couldn't be trusted, eventually comes to trust him a great deal. Um, we have um, a question on Facebook. It's from the 10 American um, President's Facebook group. It's from Steve Tortellini. Does your guest have any opinion about the any of the plethora of Reagan documentaries that are out there? I tend to learn a lot from the movies I watch. I saw one of them by uh, Jarecki in 2011 at the Sundance Festival. Any take on that one in particular? I don't know if you know that movie. Ewan. I don't know that, uh, but of course, 2011 was Ronald Reagan's uh, centenary, uh, born in 1911. So the movies came out about him. Uh, I think uh, what what is interesting about Reagan, how he has been embraced. We talked earlier about how uh, uh, he was uh, an icon for the American right. Well, uh, in 2011, his... Uh, Centenary was celebrated by Democrats as much as by Republicans, and the Democrats at the time, different to the kind of Tea Party and Conservative Republican that they were dealing with uh, during the Obama presidency. Um, you know, Ronald Reagan is uh, like like FDR and virtually any president. He can be used to promote a particular message at different times. Uh, so he is an icon of the right. But I think uh, a lot of filmmakers have uh, uh, seen in uh, uh, Reagan uh, a, a very uh, a, a very valuable subject for study uh, because he is such a complex figure. And as a compare and contrast, as one Brit to another, um, he's as we've said very much an icon of the right in the way that Margaret Thatcher is in the UK, maybe maybe slightly less so. Um, but when she passed, the fact that she had an almost state funeral was seen as incredibly divisive in the United Kingdom, wasn't it? Yes, um, a state funeral. Uh, uh, how many times has it been accorded in recent times? I can only think of uh, uh, Winston Churchill, who had a truly state funeral. Uh, uh, of course, the uh, president of the United States is somewhat different in terms of status. Uh, president of the United States is head of state and head of government. Prime Minister is only head of government. Uh, mm -hmm. So, in a, in a sense, um, um, Margaret Thatcher, of course, was a much more divisive figure than Ronald Reagan. Uh, what, you gotta, what we have to keep in mind, of course, is that although Margaret Thatcher's Conservative Party won massive majorities in 1983 and 1987. Her support, voter support, was about 43-44% of voters. Um, Ronald Reagan's uh, voter support was for in his presidential elections, both in 1980 and 1984. He had much greater support, uh, uh, winning a landslide in 1984 in, both in the Electoral College and in the popular board. So Reagan has more cross-party appeal. Uh, he has, because uh, he, he is so good at projecting patriotism and projecting an optimistic view of America. I think if you don't recognize those two things about Reagan, you miss something very important. And that vision had immense attraction for Americans at the time. 
I don't think Margaret Thatcher quite had, well, she didn't have that, she had the sense of patriotism that um, she could not project the same sense of consensual optimism as Ronald Reagan did. Mm. Interesting, interesting. They were very much seen as uh, two two peas ideologically in in a pod during during the nineteen eighties. Um, I, I was going to ask the question, which is, you know, which who who was led led by the other? But um, I think we, we've kind of answered that. And Reagan's conservatism goes back to to the nineteen fifties. Let's go to nineteen sixty four. So he gives that that speech. Uh, which is televised, it's an event for Barry Goldwater. Does he really leap from being um, a kind of washed-up actor to being a conservative champion literally overnight? Because then he does then become the governor of uh, California. When we spoke, I think you said that he didn't have... um, He wasn't really looking for uh, political office by... uh, until that point. Was that true? Am I misremembering? Does he go from washed up B-movie actor that, you know, on the GE electric, um, you know, uh, shows to, wow, um, Barry Barry Goldwater, he didn't work, but maybe this guy could work. Was it literally as, was that speech as important as that in terms of creating uh, Ronald Reagan, who'd then become the president? Yes, I think it's uh, very difficult to uh, uh, understate or to overestimate the importance of that uh, of that speech. Uh, um, conservatives lacked an appealing leader. Mm-hmm. Barry Goldwater was angry and divisive. You think of conservatives in the United States. You think of angry figures like Joseph McCarthy or. Um, uh, staunch anti-communists like the Burke Society who have an element of, um, you know, conspiracy element to them, uh, big kooks. Ronald Reagan is the first conservative who can speak to the American people, explain the conservative vision in positive terms and not frighten them. Uh, Now, his rise was not overnight. I think that uh, he had been, when he begins on the GE circuit, you know, it's uh, he's a glad hander. He's going around the country uh, really uh, uh, on a morale-boosting uh, trips for uh, GE workers. But as, by the third year of his contract, you know, he's beginning to think more and more, and his speeches are becoming more political. And it, that GE, the GE is a critical to his ideological emergence, because GE then begins to use him on the conservative political circuit, because GE wants to put across the message, you know, we want less government, less taxes, less regulation, and the bigger military. This is what Ronald Reagan is saying, and this is in GE's corporate interest. The Republicans begin to recognize Reagan as somebody who can put their message across. And in 1960, of course, Richard Nixon asks Ronald Reagan to make speeches for him when he's running against John Kennedy. And Reagan said, gladly, oh, by the way, I'm still a registered Democrat, 
uh, register the Republican. Then Nixon says, no, I want you to stay as a, as a Democrat because you're much more important speaking as a Democrat against Kennedy than if you were a Republican. But it takes about 10 years, eight years more accurately, from about 1957 through to 1964, for Ron Reagan to build up on that stage to national prominence. And it happens in 1964. So the Republicans are now looking around, well, we've been crushed. Uh, do we go back to being a moderate party or do we keep the conservative flame alive? And a lot of people wanted to keep the conservative flame alive if they could find somebody to deliver the message in an appealing manner. And Ronald, Reagan's, Ronald Reagan was friendly with the, a group of California businessmen. And California, of course, had a gubernatorial election in 1966, two years after the presidential debacle. And they began to work on Ronald Reagan to get him to run for governor. And eventually he uh, gives in. He doesn't want to do it. He said, I am an actor who enjoys giving speeches. Uh, but slowly but surely, his resistance is worn down. And uh, of course, uh, he, he is an actor on the campaign trail. He does need a lot of coaching. You know, it's not quite like acting, but uh, uh, Ronald Reagan himself once said, um, I don't think anybody could rise to the presidency without having been an actor. You know, you really do need that kind of capacity to put things over and appear sincere. I think sincerity was very important in Ronald Reagan's image. Uh, and of course, um, when Ronald Reagan runs for California governor in 1966, California has just become the most popular state in the union of 50 states. It is the jewel. If the Republicans can take California, they're on their way back. And Ronald Reagan becomes that, uh, uh, becomes the spearhead of that Republican renewal. It still takes him uh, another uh, 14 years to rise to the presidency because there is the party is still worried about that Goldwater debacle. Can we risk going with a Republican right-winger again as our standard bearer? Uh, Richard Nixon uh, becomes the 1968 and 72 standard bearer. Reagan and Ford go head-to-head -head in 1976. But the Republicans just aren't ready for Reagan yet. Reagan nearly snatches the nomination from the incumbent president, but there's still this re uh, residue of suspicion. We can't win with the right winger. But by 1980, um, Ronald Reagan's got the message. Everything he said has seemingly come true. Big government can't uh, create prosperity. The United States is in the grip of the worst economic crisis since the 1930s. The United States seems to be losing the Cold War and uh, the uh, guys of Dayton, and Americans have lost their natural optimism. They have become a pessimistic nation, poll after poll showing that uh, they, uh, something like well over half of Americans believe the present is worse than the past, and the future will be even worse than the present. You know, 
this is this is pessimism that is not part of this optimistic nation and that pessimism of course i think there's a parallel between reagan and trump reagan understood that pessimism and trump understood it. Uh, it's just a, a last shout out to everybody who's watching on the various different uh, medium. We are we are on Facebook. I'm going to try and, and log on to Facebook. If you see me looking away um, when when you and is talking, it's because I'm looking at the various different feeds. If you do have um, a question, uh, post it on whatever feed you're you're looking at, and I will try and uh, get that over to you. And but you got to bear with me. I'm looking at my, on my phone. I'm, I'm going from screen to screen. Uh, Deborah, you're watching on 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 zoom so if you have a question after i ask my next one unmute your microphone and you you can ask your question deborah hello i'm here deborah okay well why don't you go now why don't you ask your question go for it i was just wondering what uh, your guests um comments might be on the power and influence of nancy reagan over president reagan ah nancy yes very interesting um a woman who had uh, an unfairly bad press, in my opinion. I think uh, Nancy Reagan was very, very important to her husband. Uh, I think um, he came to have an emotional dependence on her. Ronald Reagan, uh, Ronald Reagan's relationship with Nancy, I think that, uh, um, you know, he he wasn't sure at the beginning whether this was a woman of his dreams, but shortly after they got married, I think he became deeply and absolutely uh, head over heels in love with her. And, you know, we you've only got to look at his diary, um, which he writes in the presidential years. And uh, at one point, uh, uh, Nancy has gone to London to represent Ronald Reagan at the marriage of Prince Charles and Lady Diana. Ronald Reagan can't go because he's still recuperating from the assassination attempt. And uh, he writes in his diary, Nancy is going to be away for six days. I don't know how I can stand it. I can't stand being away from her for one day, let alone six. And, um, uh, you know, the diary is full of these references to Nancy. Now, a lot of people have said, well, Nancy was a malign influence on Ronald Reagan. Uh, uh, she was a hardball conservative. Her stepfather uh, was one of the most conservative of uh, Goldwater backers, and that Nancy was, you know, uh, a, a a right winger par excellence. Nothing could be further from the truth. That uh, uh, Nancy Reagan wasn't interested in politics. She was interested in Ronald Reagan, and Re Ronald Reagan was her project. And if Ronald Reagan wanted to be president of the United States, she was going to help him become president. And she did. Uh, she was very good at uh, telling him um, what worked, what didn't. Um, she uh, also, um, uh, Ronald Reagan was a, was a real softie. Okay? Uh, he couldn't fire anybody, regardless of how incompetent they were. Nancy Reagan was prepared to be the hard cop, the bad cop, Ronald Reagan's nice cop. Uh, in 1980, she did something very important for Ronald Reagan. She got his campaign manager sacked, who was 
fighting the wrong strategy on the campaign uh, and very nearly um, lost uh, the nomination race for Ronald Reagan. Uh, but she wanted her husband to be remembered as a great president. And she thought the way that he would best be remembered as a great president was as a man of peace. And she was an early advocate of uh, negotiations with the Soviet Union and reducing world tensions. I don't think uh, Ronald Reagan that was um, converted by her. But certainly her willingness to push that message to him and to support members of his administration, like George Schultz, who was something of a dove uh, against the hawkish voices uh, uh, of people like Caspar Weinberger. So in the uh, palace politics uh, of the Reagan White House, uh, you know, she was definitely on the side of those who wanted Ronald Reagan to negotiate with the Soviets. So I would say she is a very important figure. Um, uh, I'm just trying to make a comparison. Uh, um, you, you know, I think that there have been three very important first ladies in the last 50 years. Um, Michelle Obama, obviously, Hillary Clinton, but I would put uh, Nancy Reagan up there as equally significant in terms of their husband's administration. Uh, Mrs. Roosevelt as well. Uh, yeah, well, of course. Uh, Going I mean, back Mrs. a bit. <laughs> Mrs. Roosevelt, did, well, of course, she was almost 100 years ago. No, uh, Mrs. Eleanor Roosevelt, of course, is the gold standard, uh, uh, but there'll never be another Eleanor Roosevelt, uh, I, I, I don't think, uh, uh, because FDR allowed her uh, to uh, campaign independently on the issues that interested her. He felt he owed her in view of the fact that, uh, you know, he'd come close to destroying their marriage in the, uh, during the second decade of the 20th century through his adultery. So he felt he owed Eleanor Roosevelt something, and Eleanor Roosevelt, uh, of course, emerges from FDR's shadow uh, to be a real force in American politics in her own right. I don't think any first lady uh, has been able to do that since then. They've, they've been appendages to their husbands rather than independent uh, forces in their own right. Great question there, Deborah. Got another question from Facebook, uh, Ewan. Um, this is from Adam Vanami. says, ask him his opinion. And it says, if he agrees that raising and lost his faculties whilst in office. At what point was he past the line of being functional in office? And how much did he lean on Nancy? So this kind of uh, carries on from uh, Deborah's question about the importance of Nancy towards the end of his time in, in office. Um, but I think all historians agree, don't they, that towards the end of his time in, in office, uh, the dementia, the signs of dementia were there. How bad was it, in your opinion? And uh, then how much did he lean on his wife? This is a question that uh, has not fully been resolved as yet. Uh, um, look, I've read Ronald Reagan's papers. I've read oral histories. And very importantly, I've read his diary. Um, uh, and I can't see 
somebody who's capable of functioning like that as being seriously uh, in the grip of dementia. Um, we've got to remember that Ronald Reagan was nearly killed by an assassination attempt in April 1981. And uh, he bounces back pretty quickly from that. But, you know, he's been seriously wounded. Uh, it could have gone either way. So I think that uh, that has an effect on him as well. He's a 70-year-old man uh, who has been uh, the victim of uh, a, a serious uh, gunshot wound. Um, uh, but coming back to your question, Look, this is a guy who negotiated with Mikhail Gorbachev, sometimes on a one-to-one -one basis, sometimes in a room full of other people. And only once does he really flop in the uh, uh, in his negotiations with Gorbachev, where he goes off the point, where he tries to tell some of these stories. Uh, but every other time he's focused, uh, this is true of Moscow in 1988, Washington in 1987, Reykjavik in 1986, and Geneva in 1985. So, you know, my, my concern is that if this guy was in the uh, grip of some kind of dementia, how come was he so good? How come, you know, in 1987, he takes on the conservative wing of his own party to force through uh, the ratification of the INF Treaty? Um, how come he uh, de decides he can press Gorbachev uh, to take uh, uh, the two countries forward towards peace? Um, so, you know, I think Ronald Reagan declined very quickly after leaving the presidency. And one of the reasons he declined in 1990 uh, in... Uh, He's on a vacation in Mexico at a friend's ranch with Nancy. And uh, he's uh, riding in the hills uh, with a couple of other people. And his role ring is, of course, an excellent horseman. Uh, but something spooks his horse. The horse backs up and throws Reagan, who lands on his head. And I think that that, that set off the dementia accelerated it. Uh, from that point on, Ronald Reagan is on a steep downward slope. And it's then he becomes dependent on Nancy. The, from the time uh, that dementia takes hold in the post-presidential years uh, to the time that he um, writes the open letter to the American people to say that he's on this journey to uh, oblivion, and, of course, uh, Nancy uh, becomes a protector of the Reagan legacy and the Reagan reputation in the years when her husband is effectively bedridden and seriously out of things. But, you know, Nancy Reagan uh, uh, was balanced in uh, what she did. Uh, one of my favorite stories about her is that uh, I think it was in 1999 that uh, some Republicans decided it would be a great idea if uh, Ronald Reagan's head appeared on the dime coin in place of Franklin D. Roosevelt's. And uh, uh, Nancy Reagan 
rubbish is it? No, we're not having that. Uh, R- uh, Ronnie would not have let that happen, and I'm not going to let it happen. I think, uh, Ewan, we're, we're, we're just about at the end. Um, thank you to everybody who's been watching. I'm looking at uh, at the phone there. Who's watching on the Ten American Presidents stream on Facebook, uh, and also on the Just History stream, also on Facebook, and then also on YouTube. Um, but I, I think we should, um, unless you've got another question, Deborah. I have one trivia question: Who is Ronald Reagan's best man? Who is Ronald Reagan's best man? Well, uh, I do know who was the best man for his uh, second uh, uh, wedding, and that was William Holden. Uh, Correct. Um, Thank you. I'm I don't know sure. the first. I was thinking no. of William Holden as well. He and William Holden became great friends, uh, and it was always a uh, great regret for Ronald Reagan uh, that uh, William Holden became addicted to uh, alcohol and uh, um, of course, uh, he died uh, as a result of uh, a, an accident during the early years of the Reagan presidency when he fell down and hit his head. He fell down because he was drunk and hit his head and died of, of that. But, uh, Holden and uh, Reagan were allies in the uh, anti-communist uh, politics of the uh, 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 Hollywood Red Scare of the late 1940s. Uh, um, uh, I, I, I'm trying to think of who Ronald Reagan's uh, best man was in his first wedding, but I can tell you this, that uh, uh, it was held in the home of Luella Parsons, uh, who uh, came from almost the same a small Illinois town as Ronald Reagan. What a coincidence. The greatest Hollywood gossip columnist is somebody who comes from the small town Midwest. And she made a big effort to promote Reagan's career uh, when he was just making the step up from being a B-movie actor to an A-star. Well done. Uh, you know your stuff. That's the reason why you've written a book and you just proved it. You've written a book on the man. You'll put, pull out that level of detail. Deborah, thank you for that supplemental question. And again, thank you to everybody who's been watching on the various different streams. If you're listening to this, and most people will end up listening to this and, and not watching it, um, very obviously, uh, this is a supplemental um, episode of 10 American Presidents. Uh, you would have heard part one and part two of the life of Ronald Reagan. And this it was just a great way uh, for, for listeners to get to um, ask Ewan Morgan, the author of the book Reagan, American Icon, to um, basically fill in a little bit of the gaps, uh, maybe things which I didn't ask him in the two shows uh, on, on the life of Ronald Reagan. Um, if you are watching on Facebook and you're like, what the hell is going on here? I was just minding my own business, having a little bit of Facebook action. And all of a sudden, there is this uh, there is this feed. I produce a thing called 10 American Presidents. Um, I have fallen in love with American politics and American presidential history. And this is my ode to it by doing 10 American Presidents. So there is a podcast. It's available at all the regular places, Stitcher, iTunes, uh, Google Play, etc., etc. Please go listen to it. Um, it isn't just the 10 pivotal American presidencies. We do look at other things like the history of impeachment, presidential speech, etc., etc. But at its core, um, it's an in-depth dive and audio documentaries about America's 10 
pivotal, pivotal presidencies, which is a hard thing to say. Pivotal presidencies, if you're not careful. Um, Ewan, um, we did say this, I think, just before we we, we, we hit record. Um, but why don't you tell people about your other presidential books and what you're working on at the moment? Yes, thanks. Uh, well, uh, I, the first presidential book I wrote was about Dwight D. Eisenhower and uh, his struggle to balance the federal budget. Uh, um, I then uh, wrote uh, a very short biography of uh, Richard Nixon. Uh, uh, that was back in uh, 2000. Uh, I've written about various aspects of uh, the American presidency uh, thereafter. Uh, I also, so that's my first book. My second love is Hollywood cinema. And uh, I did a book uh, in 2011 called uh, uh, Presidents in the Movies, examining biopics uh, or representations of American presidents in uh, um, uh, in, in uh, films. And uh, uh, I did a comparison for my contribution. Uh, people contributed to the book, and I contributed a, a chapter comparing uh, the. Uh, the 1993 movie Nixon with the uh, 1942 movie Tennessee Johnson. And I wanted to show how American movies had represented two presidents who had been impeached and, uh, or had undergone uh, the impeachment process. Uh, Richard Nixon, of course, wasn't impeached and uh, resigned to avoid that fate. Uh, then I did the Reagan book and because I've never written a big book about a Democrat, I felt it was time to balance that out. And I'm in the final stages of the manuscript on the presidency of Franklin D. Roosevelt. Brilliant. And, and then how can people catch up with you on social media if they're into Twitter and, and all those uh, modern things there, Ewan? Uh, I, I really should start living in the 21st century, but I'm still a 20th century man. Uh, I do have a Twitter account, but it's been dormant for some time, and uh, I'm afraid that uh, I uh, I've, I have stopped uh, my TV appearances uh, uh, because I'm always being asked who's going to win the uh, 2020 presidential election, and I'm in the dark as much as anybody else. Uh, oh no, you and you and no, listen. If you get asked right and you don't know. Give them my email address. I'll go on uh, NBC, etc., and and I'll tell them who's going to win. Right? That's, <laughs> and I'll be proved right when I tell everybody who I think is going to win on November the fourth. Well, I thought it was going to win on November the fourth. But you and Morgan, thank you for coming on to Ten American Presidents. Thank you, Deborah, for your great question and for following us on Zoom. Thank you for Steve Tortellini and Adam Vanami who asked questions on Facebook. Thank you for the people who've been watching this on YouTube. The podcast is Ten American Presidents. We still have part two of the life of Ronald Reagan, which should hopefully should be with you before Christmas. These things do take me a long time to produce. Dare I say, the easy bit is just uh, being uh, here with the expert, with somebody like you, and who can just wax lyrical for, I think we did two and a half hours worth of audio uh, of just you and talking about Ronald Reagan then I have to then put uh, find the audio clips and that does take me some time so bear with me hopefully you've had um, a great time with you and filling in some of the details on the life of America's 40th president take care look after yourself be good bye bye
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 